Hello, and welcome back to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Gold. Dreaming of recording live from Gray Towers in downtown New York City, but here in lovely Fairfield County, Connecticut, where there are trees and a lot of social distancing. So, as always, joining me this week, Project Director at Gray, Amanda Davis. Welcome back to the podcast, Amanda Davis. Thank you. Always excited to be here, talk some stuff with you guys. And joining us again, this is becoming a theme or a trend, as they say, <laughs> Executive Director of Data Strategy, Beth Rolfs. Beth, welcome back. Thank you. Hey, guys. So, live from our pillow forts to ensure that our sound quality is as good as it can be, here are this <laughs> week's five things. Amanda will be talking to us about the White House setting TikTok deadline to have some sort of sale moment. Beth will be talking about Snapchat adding new voter registration tools. Yay, hashtag vote. I'll be telling you all a little bit about Facebook launching their uh, program and grant program to support Black creators. Amanda will talk about Reels again now that it is live and in action. And then Beth will be closing us out with a non-controversial topic of Twitter adding new labels for state media. So with that, Amanda, tell us a little bit about the White House setting a deadline for TikTok. This one's a little spicy. I kind of like it. I feel like I'm watching a, a TV show, as I generally do, um, with these kinds of stories. So this week, President Donald Trump, never said it so officially that way, um, signed an order essentially banning TikTok in the United States if they do not sell the portion of the app that the U.S. uses within 45 days, so by September 20th. Um, he, he had been mentioning, especially on his, uh, social feeds that this was going to happen and that, you know, TikTok was dangerous. It captures a lot of, you know, secure information and network activity that can, you know, be used against Americans essentially, um, by what he claims would be the Chinese communist party. So after some threats over the last couple of weeks, he officially put an executive order ban on TikTok if they do not sell within 45 days. The good news is, as we've been talking, and, and Beth is tracking this very closely, I know, TikTok's been in talks, or ByteDance, the company that owns TikTok, has been in talk with Microsoft to become part of the Microsoft family. Um, it's There's not a lot of details right now. It's obviously um, kind of an early stage conversation between those two companies. Uh, so just another piece of this interesting TikTok saga, what I find to be the most surreal part of it is that Donald Trump, when giving this executive order, also declared that, you know, the U.S. government was partially responsible for this sale between this tentative sale between Microsoft and TikTok. And that if it does, you know, go through that the U.S. government or the Treasury specifically would need to benefit as essentially uh, an agent fee on this. Um, I don't think anyone feels that that's legal. First things first. I'm sure there's a lot of people, uh, you know, pushing the paper away to figure out where in the Constitution this falls. But this and I can't stop laughing because it does feel a little bit like we're watching a TV show and this is the next uh, chapter here. Um, but 
that's the big update. And and also worth mentioning in that same uh, evening, he signed another executive order that actually bans transactions within WeChat, which is also owned by a Chinese company, which he feels and um, Mike Pompeo feel are jeopardizing Americans' data and privacy and security. So that's a real story. This is ridiculous. This whole conversation is ridiculous. Um, And it's amazing that his just his behavior is literally now permeating into my day-to-day content strategy world like why is this happening it's a ridiculous conversation and he is just trying to find new ways to boost the economy and now he's doing it through illegal regulation um i I just think this is insane um you know i would just say for for our for our clients and for the people who use tiktok and are curious about what this does don't stop using tiktok keep partnering with creators keep thinking of a content strategy keep understanding the channel I, i do not think it is going anywhere in the long run also if you are a global brand um just because they don't do it in the u.s doesn't mean you can't use it to reach uh users in other markets. Beth, what do you got? Oh, man, I think you said it perfectly. Keep using TikTok. Um, I mean, the thing that I keep going back to is the fact that Donald Trump, when talking about TikTok, blatantly said he doesn't know what TikTok is, but that the kids use it. And it probably takes them away from time with their parents. So, you know, I, I think it's just the legality of all of this is not there. Um, this is one of those kind of Donald Trump tactics, I think, where he's going to talk a lot of talk, but the action it, like actually can't back up what he's saying because as if for people who've been following this, like there, there are some actions he could take, but straight out banning TikTok is not one of them. Um, I also think there's a user responsibility piece here where um, we as consumers and users of all technology should be aware of where our data is going and have the right to kind of make that choice. So banning transactions in WeChat, it's not it doesn't help the consumer if the consumer is aware of the potential risk and is using that platform to do something that they want to do. I mean, this is all just insane. <laughs> and as our intrepid re- uh, reporter and producer, Joey Sprillo has reminded us, and need, need we not forget um, a missive from the control room, uh, that this is also an issue of vanity because the kids on TikTok trolled his rally and bought his tickets and made him feel sad. So, uh, you know, petulant children in, in power, uh, being trolled by actual children who are doing brilliant <laughs> things is a recipe for a for sale of a channel. But what can we do? What can we do, you ask? Well, Beth, tell us about how Snapchat is adding a new voter registration tool. Yes, this makes me so happy. Um, so Snapchat is adding, not to bury the lead, a new voter registration tool. Um, they're using their new minis to have the capability of an app will pop up within Snapchat. So um, 
you don't even now have to go outside of the app to register to vote. Um, and I think it'll take the place of a lot of the role of college campuses, especially as we don't know if ca- campuses are going to open um, either in person or if it's all virtual. Um, and college campuses have played a huge role in getting young new voters to sign up um, and register to vote. I know about you guys, but I registered to vote on my college campus the first election that I was able to vote in. Um, and it's it's just so smart. I mean, Snapchat knows that 75% of its audience is 13 to 34, and that 80% are 18 or older. So there's a huge opportunity there. Um, and now it's easier than ever to register to vote. I think it takes kind of that slacktivism that we were talking about a little bit last week and turns it into activism. So I'm super into it. What do you guys think? Well, I'm super into it too. I mean, this is anything our channels can do to get people to vote. There is, when we were kids, there was Rock the Vote. And I know Rock the Vote still exists, but that was the the 90s and early 2000s version of what this is doing. And I think uh, anyway, voting is a privilege and a right. And, uh, you know, the fact that our channels are helping make sure that everyone registers so they can take part, not just in this presidential election, but in all the elections that are happening, I think is really crucial. Um, I'm a massive West Wing fan for anyone who knows me. And the line is decisions are made by those who show up. So I think that uh, you can't spend your time doing sort of slacktivism and being on social media telling people what you believe if you don't land stick the landing, as they say in figure skating and gymnastics um, and air flight. Um, so you know, I think that that this is a, a crucial component of our social experience, and I love that the channels and Snapchat are doing that. Amanda, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, you can't help but, you know, kind of be excited by channels like Snapchat figuring out innovative ways to, you know, get um, especially Gen Z or millennials involved in in politics and voting. I think this is awesome. I would also really love to see this kind of feature rolled out on places where there is a little bit more of a political conversation like Twitter, for instance. Um, I've seen some some inklings of it on Facebook, um, but I think the direct uh, registration feature on Snapchat seems very intuitive and, and straightforward and, and very short funnel um, for those with short attention spans. So I think, you know, t- tapping into the next step would be tapping into the places where these conversations are happening a lot. And, you know, the people are talking about politics and voting uh, and making basically making sure that all of the social platforms have some kind of tie, easy access um, to voter registration. And the one thing that I forgot to mention that I think is another really important piece of this story is that um, Snapchat will also be releasing um, information like voter guides and resources from organizations like the NAACP, ACLU, Ballot Ready, Democracy Works, APIA Vote, I'm a Voter. So all the kind of voter resources that you need will also be directly in the platform. And then on their Discover page, they're also going to um, release content about registration and turnout and then have pop-up channels with content from both candidates. So I love that Snapchat is trying to kind of 
foster that political community and maybe give Twitter a run for its money. Maybe. Who knows? That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love to see how that kind of unfolds on that platform. Well, make sure you get out and vote is all I have to say about that and register today, regardless of what channel you decide to register on. Um, All right. Well, the next item on our five things is that Facebook launched a $25 million program to support Black creators. Essentially, as they said, they want to empower that next generation of Black storytellers to become successful. Uh, Creators will receive the support they need to help propel their career, uh, take it to the next level, and grow their community and follower base uh, as a business across Facebook's family of apps. The program will be open to all creators between uh, 18 plus, minimum of 10,000 followers on either Facebook or Instagram, but no combined follower accounts seems a little maniacal for that. Um, I think this is a very uh, nice salvo on the part of Facebook and the Facebook family of apps to help support Black creators. Frankly, it's not enough. They're a multi-multi-billion dollar uh, company. Just in the in the past few weeks, TikTok has created their own creator fund, which they hope to grow to over a billion dollars in the United States in the next three years. They've already committed $200 million to diverse uh, creators across the country. Uh, so, you know, I think it's very interesting when you see uh, who values creativity and the role of the creator as a channel. Uh, Facebook is first and foremost an advertising platform when uh, it started off as being a place to connect with people. Uh, And I think, you know, this feels like a remedy, not a first move, uh, which is, and frankly, a a copycat, again, of another channel and what another channel is doing. You know, this podcast, while we love and respect our friends at Facebook and Instagram, is oftentimes very critical of what they are doing. And I appreciate when they take steps in the right direction. Uh, But I encourage you to do more Facebook and Instagram. Uh, TikTok values the creator, and there's a reason why um, you know people flock to those ch- that channel because they want to see creativity. Uh, I think also as we uh, enter a, a post-COVID world and the productions of the shows that we love and watch are down, uh, the space for creators, original creators at home, is going to become even more important because we need to continue to fill the, the content well with as much content as possible. So. That was a really long and meandering road to just say, uh, nice effort, Facebook. Let's see more because supporting Black creators and diverse talent is really critical. Amanda, Beth, what do we got? I agree. It's a great initiative, just like just like TikToks was a great initiative, um, but at a higher a higher scale. I think for all of these platforms, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kenny, but I, I think this is actually the first way that Facebook, Instagram has created a way for um, the users to monetize the content other than just, um, uh, you know, partnerships and placements. So I, while I think that's interesting, I, I also feel actions speak louder than money. Sometimes I made that up. Um, and you know, the, the creators that, you know, are are thriving on Instagram and Facebook, 
have a lot of, you know, requests for the platform that are not being listened to around the algorithm, around how their posts are treated, around, you know, censorship and other things. And I think, you know, if Instagram is trying to listen to the creators and provide and support for the creators on the platform, I think while, you know, these funds are, are helpful and obviously can, you know, create access to things that uh, that creators might not have, there's a larger conversation that I I don't feel that they're particularly tapped into. It it more feels like a a tactic to just check the box and say that they're providing for these creators versus actually having a dialogue and understanding what they can do in the platform to support um, the way that this content gets to people's feeds. Uh, You took the words right out of my mouth. It does feel like a check of a box versus something that truly deep down is like a, a new tenant of how Facebook is going to move going forward. Um, as we're sitting here talking about this, I keep thinking about like these new platforms almost have this bravery that I think Facebook had when it came into the market. Um, and it feels like Facebook just, it's lost some of that. Like it's always a second mover. It's always kind of waiting to test the waters of its you know, the political world that we're in and how people are feeling before it makes any moves, which is like kind of a bummer. It's not the Mark Zuckerberg that in college we all thought was like the most badass guy alive. You know, it's more, I guess, Mark Zuckerberg, the businessman. Um, And the other thing that Kenny brought up is the idea that Facebook is an ads platform still. Like, I mean, first and foremost, it's at least what it feels like to maybe us in the advertising world. So I think while this is great, it's still on us as marketers to make sure that our content is diverse and that we're supporting Black creators and bringing them to the forefront as well. Yeah, it, it it's it's frustrating to me that this channel, which was so innovative and so breakthrough and so smart, it, it has become sort of this catch-all behemoth and it's a perfect metaphor from your transition into your bold 20s into your more uh soft and mundane 30s uh so it's i feel like the channel is growing with me um but in that regard uh yes you know i just want to see us supporting as a company gray as a company is all about creativity to solve business needs and fostering creativity and and the simple elegance and creativity. And and I just want to see the channels that we leverage every single day for our brands embrace that creativity more and more. So I'm hoping that there's a five things where all we see is uh, money invested in smart, diverse creators, because that's what makes the world better. Um, Wow, just encapsulated that in a little nugget. So Amanda, speaking of uh, copycats and creativity. Can you tell us a little bit about the update on Instagram launching Reels? All right. So last week we were all very excited. That was sarcasm. It was very expected that Instagram launched Reels, which was a TikTok, TikTok, TikTok copycat. Ooh, I like that. Um, and I personally, and this is, I'm going to preface this by saying I was wrong. I personally mentioned on last week's podcast that Instagram generally steals features and makes them 
more intuitive, um, you know, more well-liked, more accessible, more linked to where people are already having the conversations. So, you know, we had a takeaway that was quite positive about where this Reels feature would go on the platform. It's a week later. Users' content is being made. Users are throwing out a bunch of Reels in their uh, feed and to their friends. And a lot of the decisions are in that Reels is not a good feature at all. It is, quote, I'm reading a quote from a New York Times article, the worst feature I've ever used. Um, That is from Taylor Lorenz, the influencer writer. Um, And, you know, I think this is, to to kind of the larger conversation we're having, is a little bit of that slowdown moment for Instagram and for Facebook to say, why are we doing this? What are we trying to do? How is it actually operating? And how are people using the feature? Um, you know, I, I, I could go into some of the details and logistically about why, why the, the new feature is not ideal for a lot of creators, but it's essentially just much less intuitive, confusing. Um, it creates a lot more difficulty figuring out the functionality of how to, you know, make a complex clip or speed something up or edit something together. So whereas generally Instagram creates a more intuitive version of these features they steal. This was not well done. And a lot of the initial excitement from content creators is, is dying down and kind of causing a little bit of a negative backlash towards, you know, the obvious copycat feature. Well, until the TikTok issue is resolved, this, this is kind of a mute point. I see a moot point. Oh, Kenny. Um, that's what you get for Thursday mornings. Um, so, you know, what Taylor is talking about is the, the intuitiveness and elegance of the feature. If TikTok were to be banned, it wouldn't matter how clunky it is. They will flock there because it is the place for them to execute their craft, I believe. Um, so, you know, I think they're going to find a way to do, uh, to make it a little bit better. I did find it a little tough to navigate. But overall, um, this is a quick update to say uh, that the launch was probably like a C plus um, <laughs> with the potential for a B minus uh, overgrade if you um, if they'd make some minor improvements. So or if or if TikTok gets banned, I think they also were kind of uh, leaning on the fact that there might be a very large opening in the market in the U.S. Um, that they could slide right into. So I think those two news stories are going to be intrinsically linked um, to the popularity. Do you think they uh, they rush the launch? Yes, absolutely. For all of you podcast listeners at home, Beth is nodding her head. <laughs> oh, I said yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I do want to remind us all, though, that when stories came out and it was, I think, the first real move where Instagram seemed to be um, copycatting or learning from its competitors, um, there was a pretty negative reaction to that as well. So we might see this kind of change over time as users get used to Reels. I personally when I run into reels, have this feeling of why, why is this here right now? So I'm, I'm with everyone in the kind of not as intuitive as I would have liked it to be feedback, but I think we should keep following this one. I love it. Well, Beth, with that, our last final update of the day, our last thing, tell us a little bit about Twitter adding new labels for state media. Ugh. 
this makes me so happy. Kind of gives me like this like evil laugh feeling inside because Twitter has decided to add two new labels to um, profiles. One and posts. One is U.S. government account and one is state affiliated media. So what this means is when you are going through your Twitter account and um, a post is coming from either a government-led account, which honestly are usually easier to suss out, um, you will see that government account label. Um, But where this really will make a huge difference is in the state-affiliated media label. So in the example they give in um, the news of this, it says like Russia state-affiliated media which means that um, these state-affiliated media accounts that often come across as just a news account or, you know, a, a blogger, um, any account that's belonging to a media entity, an editor-in-chief, or senior staff will be labeled as such. And what's great about this is often these accounts are actually um, mandated to promote the nation's interests in a positive light. So I think it'll make people kind of pause and think, you know, is the content that I'm reading giving an honest perspective or is there some influence going into these posts, which I think we could all use, especially going into this, uh, election season and better understanding what's real I guess, to steal a quote from one of my least favorite people, fake news. So I'm excited to see if this makes people stop and think a little bit more about the content that they're reading instead of anything on the internet being taken as fact. Um, And I'm just, I think it'll be really interesting going into election season. What do you guys think? This is an unbelievable advancement for Twitter. It's smart, um, you know, and it is the way that we are going to ensure that people aren't getting fake news. They are getting um, things that are uh, transparent and open and honest, uh, but still represent the opinions of different groups of people. Uh, so with that, uh, we have come to the end of our five things. And it has been a pleasure getting to talk with Amanda and Beth about what's going on in the space of social digital marketing, advertising, you name it. And uh, we really, really hope that you will join us again next week to see what has changed in just seven short days. So with that, as always, I'm your host, Kenny Gold, urging you all to stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.